Paul survived. Y'all remember the shipwreck Ryan talked about last week? Or the almost shipwreck, the, the, the winds. Um, I was reading Johnny's commentary on this this week. Um, he survived the ship hitting the fan. That's the way Johnny put that. Um, I thought that was really clever. But uh, what he doesn't survive is justice. You can't outrun justice. Paul, the sea is trying to say something. Hey, we've got a murder on board. When you sow the seed of murder, you reap the harvest of death. Paul winds up on the island of Malta, is received hospitably by what he calls barbarians, which just means folks who could not speak Greek or Latin. And it's cold, it's rainy, so the folks on the island are building a big fire. Now, do y'all remember how many folks were on the ship last week? 275 folks, all right? A fire to warm 275 folks is a serious fire, all right? So they probably had multiple fires, right? But Paul, instead of just waiting on folks to get the fire ready, he's out also picking up sticks. And he hauls this bundle of sticks to the fire, and because of the heat from the fire, this viper comes out, fastens its bite onto Paul's hand, and the Maltesians, or the Maltesians, however they'd be called, say, aha, this man's a murderer. How do they know? They know because they've been around long enough to put cause and effect together. In their history, uh, as folks on the island of Malta, obviously if you murdered somebody, somewhere along your journey you were going to be bit by a poisonous snake and justice was going to be served to you. We know for sure, uh, if we, you remember looking back at what Paul did to Stephen, uh, Acts chapter 8 says that he consented to the murder of Stephen. Um, flashback to Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says that uh, Paul was bre breathing out murderous threats to the church. Um, we could actually look at Acts chapter 9 just to give us some of that language. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest. So Paul survives the sea's attempt at justice, but as soon as he makes it to the land, he meets his fate. Now, we're going to pause the movie for a minute. We're going to pause the Acts movie, come into our life, and then come back. So where we are in the Acts movie is Paul has just survived a whole bunch of junk and finally meets this fate of being killed by a venomous snake. What a way to go out, right? And what Paul is experiencing here is something that most of us fear is going to happen to us. At some point or another, the shoe will drop. 
prior to coming to know Jesus, we lived in a way, most of us ignorantly, we lived in a way that was contrary to the way of life. It was actually the way of death. If we use the story of Saul, he is breathing out murderous threats. He's consenting to the murder of Stephen because he thinks God wants him to. This is important for us to see. Saul, the one who is converted to Paul later, is in his mind obeying God in his persecution of the church. And now, obviously, justice, the, the seed time and harvest system says you can't escape. Even, even if you say I'm sorry, there's still consequences, Paul. There's still consequences. You're still going to have to suffer. This is what we fear. Most of us, this is what we fear. That before we knew better, we were doing these things, sowing these seeds that at some point or another would wind up as a harvest of death in our lives, some form of death. That could be that we were deceitful. That could be that we were prone to anger. That could be that we got caught up in theft. That could be that we told one lie that led to another lie that led to another lie and that, you know, finally when we came to this place of knowing Jesus, we said, man, I, I really am sorry for those things. Like that, part of what it means to come to Jesus is this word called repentance. And a part of that means to be grieved about an action. To actually acknowledge this emotion of guilt and what guilt is saying. I listened to a talk this week. Um, it's a podcast solely dedicated to this girl explaining her fear of having children post having an abortion. Her fear was that because she had an abortion, there would come a time when she tried to have a child and would reap the consequences of a, an action that she was currently sorry for. There are people in this room right now who lived in a way that they no longer agree with, who think, man, I hope it doesn't catch up to me, who are thinking, I would never run for public office because public office does what justice does. It exposes the past. We have this phenomenon that we face where we are unable to enjoy peaceful seasons because we don't think they'll last, and we're unable to endure turbulent seasons because we don't know how to find peace. You ever been in these seasons where things start going good and you think, oh shoot, oh shoot. There ain't enough peace to last every day. If I'm peaceful today, oh shoot, I won't be peaceful tomorrow. It can't last. Y'all ever had this? And then when turbulent seasons comes, you almost are, are at peace in turbulent seasons because you're like, I mean, it's got to get better, right? But what I want to give you permission to do this morning is what this man figured out. This man who we're, we're reading about, Paul, 
he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and he says this to the Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always. So I want you to hear me this morning. If you hear nothing else, hear this. You have permission to rejoice always. Because some of us feel guilty about joy. Some of you feel guilty about joy because you think, I know the shoe will drop. I know I don't deserve this thing to be going the way it's going. I've screwed up. Some of it was that I was deceived and screwed up. Some of it I intentionally did and screwed up. I really am sorry for some of it. I ain't sorry for some of it. So I know consequences will come. This, this system of justice will catch me, and I will reap my consequences just like Saul. Like if, if God wasn't going to stop the, the justice system for him, he's not going to stop it for me. Even Paul gets bit by the viper. But he knew something that we need to know. You cannot be tried for the same crime twice. That's the best thing I've said and probably will say. What he knew was... Saul, the murderer, deserved death. And I'll tell you this. Here's a, a trick for life. The best way to escape the wages of sin is death. If you're afraid of the consequences, die. Because that's what they are. Why do you do that? That'd be good to know, wouldn't it? <laughs> the same Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia. And he says this. This is in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19, he says, For through the law... I died to the law so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The best way to be delivered from the wages of sin is death. Paul understood this. He said, I know how I can avoid the consequences of my actions. I can die with the one who has died. I was in a conversation with one of my best friends. Uh, it's actually some mutual friends of mine, Philip and Jennifer's. And they lived rough when they had kids. I mean, rough, rough. Um, active addiction. And one, once one of their sons were grown, he started going through this entire process of changing into a female, the whole thing, the surgery, the, um, the medication, everything. And the mother of this boy came to me. This is when I had a counseling office in Coldwater. She came to me in my office, and she was crying. She said, Cody, this is my fault. I wasn't there for him as a kid. Uh, we neglected him. Um, we were serving ourselves, And... 
it's my fault? I said, it sure is. It sure is your fault. Because that's what good counsel does, right? I said, and that is why we killed you for it. Because it was your fault. That's why you're dead. And she understood the scripture enough for me to say something like that. She understood that what I was saying was, yeah, it's no longer you who lives, though. The person who needed to receive justice received it. And you can't try someone for the same crime twice. Justice can't. So what Paul understood when this viper seizes his hand is, yeah, that guy deserved to be bit by a snake, but this one doesn't. Because this one's been born again. And this one has been born not with the seed of iniquity, but with the seed of God's spirit. The pure seed of God's spirit. When did God set Paul free from the consequences of the actions of Saul? Not only in the next life, because don't you see what happens here. I intentionally asked Philip to hang us up right there on verse 4. However... This viper bites him. However, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly drop dead. So after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds. They said, he must be a god. Now in the region around that place were fields belonging to the chief official of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably as guests for three days. The father of Publius lay sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after praying, placed his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, many of the people on the island were, who were sick also came and were healed. They also bestowed many honors, and when we were preparing to sail, they gave us all the supplies we needed. Paul doesn't even take time to say, no, I'm not a god. He just keeps trucking. He got off the boat serving, gets bit by a snake. He, he can't shake this new identity of servant. He, he shakes the snake off, then finds Publius, who's hosting, and finds out that Publius has a sick father-in-law, and he goes in there and heals him. Then... Well, the island catches word of that, so everybody who can get to him who's sick and needs healing comes and gets healed. He just keeps giving what he has freely received. He keep, this, is, this is what he does. But now, it's important for us to know what happened where Saul, who deserved justice, as he receives it, when the, when the harvest system finally comes, how is he able to shake this viper off? Because what I want you to hear is 
Some of us are dreading consequences that will come. He does get bit by a snake. Y'all see this? The consequence of murder is that you get bit by a venomous snake. It happened. But it takes no effect because a curse that doesn't have a cause cannot come. This is scripture. What did he know? He knew that his consequences had already been dealt with. In the book of John, chapter 3, this is where we get a, probably the most clear understanding of this phenomenon. It says, Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. If I've told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is saying, how can I be born again? And ask the obvious question that we probably would have asked had we been the first person to hear this. It's not possible to get in my mother's womb again, right? Jesus, right. So you're saying, what are you saying? He said, you see the wind? To which Nicodemus probably says, No. Nobody can. To which Jesus then says, that's the point. How do you be born again? No, you can't get back in your mother's womb, but it's something that happens with the Spirit. How do I know the wind is blowing? I can't see it because it moves something. I know the wind is moving because the leaves are moving, the branches are moving. My hair is moving. There is life coming from somewhere that I can't explain. And then Jesus tells him this. He says, all right. You remember the story? Because Nicodemus is a, a teacher of this, this story that Jesus is about to say. He said, you remember the story of the brazen serpent? And of course he does. He said, in the same way that that serpent was put on a pole... The Son of Man also will be put on a pole. 
Now, for us, how many of y'all are unfamiliar with the story of the brazen serpent? Unfamiliar. Yep, several of us. All right. Anybody know where the story of the brazen serpent is in Scripture? No? No? See, we're pretty unfamiliar with the story, right? That was my test for folks who wouldn't raise their hand the first time. Um, who wouldn't join Jake in being honest. Uh, the story happens in the book of Numbers, a book we don't touch too much because it says numbers and we're not accountants. But here's the story. When the Canaanite king, this is Numbers 21, when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was approaching along the road to Atherim, he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoner. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into our hand, then we will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Ormah. Then they traveled from Mount Or by the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient along the way. Notice what the people did. All they did was become impatient. That's all they did. And the people spoke against God out of their impatience, and they spoke against Moses. They said, why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread or water, and we detest this worthless food. So the Lord sent venomous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous snake and set it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole so that if a snake had bitten someone, when he looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Here's the story. They get in the wilderness. They start complaining against God out loud. They say, why have you brought us out here just to die? So, according to the story, now this is important for us. This is a good way that we can understand how to interpret Scripture right here. We won't get into all this, but here's a little bit of it. According to the text right here, the Lord sends venomous snakes then into the camp to start biting people. What a good God, you are so graceful and merciful, Jesus. Venomous snakes when we gripe and complain. You remember that hymn we used to sing as kids? Is a, yeah, that, we hadn't sang that one in a while. We'll do it. So, Moses cries out to God, hey, help us. And God says, take a venomous snake, put it on a brass pole and set it up in the camp. And anybody who's bit by a snake, tell them just look at the pole, and if they'll, be, if they'll look at the pole, the snake will lose its power. Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you know where I was in the story? I wasn't the one who sent the snakes. I was the one on the pole. And something about this is what it means to be born again. What is it? It's that I understand that justice 
is wanting to dole out consequences. And Jesus has stepped in to say, I will be cursed so that you don't have to be. Because we were acting in ignorance, he acted in truth and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because we were acting in ignorance, he acted in truth and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul still got bit, but he understood something. He knew the one who deserved the consequence. But he also knew that that man had died. So I want you, this is supernatural stuff. This is not, this is not psychology today. Um, I want you to go ahead and embrace, we're going to just sit silent for just a minute, but go ahead and embrace some looming guilt that you have about the you that existed before you looked at Jesus as your curse. And I want you to rest knowing justice has been served, has been served. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how you deliver us from consequences, especially when guilt constantly tells us it's not going to be this good. It's going to catch up to you. Help us have the faith to shake off consequences. Father, if we have never known that you are the one who comes to be cursed, not the one who curses, May we see it right now.